This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer submission podcast. Send us your scariest work stories at eeriecast.com submit. And if we narrate your story, we'll PayPal you three cents per word. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? We had a guy who worked here for a week and tried to mix decaf with regular coffee. Took us 13 days and three employees to finally kill all those grimdoggles that were birthed from the concoction. Oh, uh, what's a grimdoggle? They're vicious little critters that enter our dimension through caffeinated decaf and, you know what, I wouldn't worry about it. Instead, I would be worrying about the stories I'm about to share with you on today's break, featuring a terrible, deadly mixture at a hospital and an entity that enjoys breathing down late-night workers' necks. Enjoy. These are tales from the break room. The Breather From E.C. I'm a 30-year-old female living in a big city in Germany. This event happened in the year of 2020, when the pandemic stuff was at its height. I worked, up until now, at a small software company. There are three of us, me, a software tester, my developer, and our management guy. Our office is located in an old spinning mill building, Actually, this spinning mill is a giant building complex with several different companies and shops in it, including two museums and one hostel. Nearly all buildings are made of old red bricks. The windows are gigantic, walls massive, and the ceiling is very, very high. The rooms are huge too. In an empty one, for example in our hallway, you can easily hear an echo of your own breath. Our office is a closed part of an open space, with a thin drywall wall, big plastic inner windows on it, and two huge normal windows on the opposite wall. Now, I usually work at night, due to productivity. My developer, well, he develops, and me as a tester, I run all the tests while he sleeps, so he can see what was wrong directly in the morning and fix it. It also means I'm often alone at work, like really alone. When I do my work, there's usually no one left in the building, not even a janitor or a cleaning staff. Just me, my work, my coffee machine, my laptop, and some monitors. So I would just work, drink coffee, and work some more. It was maybe 4 a.m. one night when the coffee machine ran out of water. I also needed to use the restroom and get some thinking done away from the laptop screen. 
The bug I was hunting after was very stubborn. I stood up and went outside the office. First, I went to the toilet at the other part of the building, then I went back to the office, where I grabbed the water tank and went into the kitchen. The open space area was slightly lit up by the moonlight and some running devices like socket extensions or on-off lamps of monitors. It was quiet and peaceful, and very much deserted. I knew I was alone there and I was never afraid of it, to be honest. You can be afraid of other people, I get that, but not of empty rooms and discarded devices. That's how I felt. That's how I thought I felt. It's what I told everyone who asked me about working in the office alone at night. So with no fear, no worries, not even a hearsay about anything wrong, bad, or let alone paranormal, I stood by the kitchen sink, filling my water tank, and racking my head about that bug. That's when it happened. Suddenly, I felt something touch my neck. Slightly, like some sort of feather or maybe an insect. I touched my skin with my hand and felt nothing, so I brushed it off. I was tired and annoyed, I needed caffeine, and I wanted to go home to my cat and get some rest, finally get my mind off of work. But it happened again and again and again, and I finally understood what it was. Breathing. Slow, wet, warm breathing. Somebody was standing behind me, and they were standing so close to me, I could feel the air leaving their lungs and the warmth of their moist breath landing on my neck. It scared me to death, really. I was alone. I had nothing with me that could act as some sort of weapon. Not even high heels or a heavy coffee mug. And behind me was someone potentially dangerous. After all, if they didn't want to hurt me, why did this person say nothing? Why didn't they just wait for me to go back to the office? Why just breathe that close to me? I realized the water was running over the tank. I quickly turned it off and slowly, very, very slowly, turned around. Maybe not the smartest idea, but what should I have done? Stay there forever? Scared and wet with sweat? I really didn't know what I thought would happen next. Was I going to scream or run? But where... And how? My legs were shaky already, and they were weak. Was I going to hit this person with the water tank? Maybe kick them? I had no idea what to expect. It could be some psycho. Maybe some giant bee or spider like in Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. But when I slowly turned around and looked, I found no one. Nobody at all. Nothing unusual. Just the table on the low wall, a camera blinking red, some chairs, and an open space filled with all the office stuff. But I could still feel the breathing, now on my chin, then on my lips, like somebody was slowly raising their head. I screamed. I ran into the office, shutting the door closed behind me, hoping that no one was following me. I should have run outside, I knew that but somehow I didn't. With my luck, I was quick enough to leave this thing outside my office, but I heard it standing outside still breathing. And now I could actually see it standing outside the inner window, 
a round, cloudy blur appearing on the transparent plastic before disappearing. But then it would appear and disappear again and again. This happened for more than three hours without any break or movement to another spot. At 7 a.m., when the cleaning lady arrived, I was sleeping near the heater on the floor. I have no idea how I managed to fall asleep. After that, I never stayed there alone again. Never. I still work at night, but I do so at home and with all the lights on. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Work hangups from Life is Too Scary. I work at a small warehouse. That day in particular started as normal as any other day. The warehouse itself holds security systems and did kits for security systems and made air samplers. I was a dock worker, manifester, water spider, and kitter. While I was there, I never witnessed something supernatural there, but something really scary did happen to me. The second time I worked for this company, I was an order packer. When you packed items, you had to weigh each box, load it with fill paper, seal the box, print the itemized list and the weight, stick the weight on the box along with the hazardous sticker and the battery sticker. If we have any issues, we were told to call our supervisor over to help. On this particular day, everyone seemed to be in a great mood, except for the supervisor. When we got our orders, we had to do them in delivery schedule order. 
My orders in particular seemed to be giving me heck. Each one had different things they needed. Then the weight scale began to malfunction. I was having a pretty difficult time. Now, they had these lights we could turn on, and they would set off a really annoying buzzer alarm. It's supposed to get the supervisor's attention. It sounds kind of like the baggage claim buzzer at the airport. They installed these so we'd have no reason to leave the parking line. The water spider person would bring all the packing supplies, so if we were needing any supplies, we had to use that alarm for that as well. They were pretty serious about us walking off the parking area. I was doing everything in my power to pack this really big order. It seemed every time I'd fix one thing, something else was not working out. As I said, first, the scale was malfunctioning. Then I didn't have enough boxes, because each box, depending on the box size, could not weigh over a certain amount. And since 12-volt batteries aren't that big, but weigh a lot, you couldn't pack more than four in a box. I only had two boxes, so I turned on the light and started packing some of the other items. The supervisor came over and turned off the light. He didn't even ask what I needed, which he was supposed to do. I continued to work and pack the things I could, then the paper filling machine jammed up, so again I turned on the light. The supervisor came and turned the light off again, still never asking what I needed. So now I needed boxes and the paper machine fixed. I just manually began putting paper in the boxes, which takes a lot longer. Then the scale was malfunctioning again. I turned on the light once more. I looked up and my supervisor looked teed off. He was staring me down. So I turned the light off myself. It was then that I think I hit a nerve. He was trying to grab the orders off the printer as it was still printing. Then the printer began wrinkling up the paper and jamming. He began pulling on the papers. That's when he lost his balance and fell back onto the fan. He was beat red. Everyone was looking at him and began laughing. He became enraged. I was trying to get his attention because the packing line was malfunctioning, and before long the boxes were going to get crushed. He yelled at me, cussing at me, asking what the heck I wanted. He continued to just go off, calling me names, asking me what, 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 and I tried to explain that the packing line was jammed up. Then he said he didn't really care. Instead, he decided to keep pulling on the papers as they came out wrinkled. Everybody was still laughing and carrying on except me. I was starting to cry, I was so stressed out and confused. Then he picked up the fan with the stand on it. He swung it right into the printer, hitting it a good 30 times, destroying the fan and the printer. Then he got up in my face, calling me stupid, calling me a baby. Then he said out loud that he was going to go to his car, get his gun, shoot all of us, starting with me. I was crying uncontrollably then. He stormed out of the building. I was terrified. He was the only supervisor on campus, as it was the third shift. HR only usually came in as we were leaving, and that was six hours until then. We got on the phone and tried to call a second shift supervisor, but they didn't answer. Instead, we called the police, and we hid in the picking area. Scared he was going to come back with that gun just as he promised. I remember trembling, listening for the door to open, all the other employees hiding as well. My heart dropped when I heard that door open. Everyone tried to calm me down. If it was him, we wouldn't be found, as we had hid ourselves around the shelves. Luckily, it was the second shift supervisor. 
He'd seen the missed call, so came right in. We practically ran to him and told him why we were hiding. He was apologetic and told us all to go home. He said he would take care of it. When he saw me shaking, more terrified than the others, he asked me why I was taking it so personally. I explained to him that he had pointed me out personally, telling me that I'd be the first person he shot. At the same time, the police finally arrived. I'm just glad the man left and didn't actually come back with the gun. I really felt if I ever ran into him again, he would try to hurt me. He got fired after this incident due to his violent behavior and threats. The police asked if I wanted to press charges. I said not at this time, because I didn't want to pursue someone who chose to walk away. That was honestly the most scared I've ever been at that point in my life. The Gassing of Hospital Hill From Rural Savage The following is a true story of events that took place during my high school years in the mid-1980s. I grew up in rural New England in the mid-1960s through the mid-1980s in a quiet town of about 6,000 residents. For a relatively small town, we had a lot of places for high school kids to find after-school jobs. Three gas stations, two pharmacies, three ice cream parlors, a grocery store, three pizza places, half a dozen restaurants, a couple of craft and supply stores, a fairly large hardware store, surprisingly huge number of antique shops, and the hospital. The hospital was originally built as a private home in the early 1730s and was enlarged around 1900 to become a hotel on the local Boston and Maine Railroad branch line. Once the railroad discontinued the branch line through town and the hotel customers dried up, the property was sold again to a group of doctors, and the building became a private psychiatric hospital in the late 1930s. Quick aside, the hospital still exists, although these days it is a private detox facility. You can find them up online if you know where to look. When I worked there, the main building of the hospital primarily housed long-term care patients, not those who needed psychiatric care, really, more folks with dementia or severe cognitive disabilities that made it impossible for them to take care of themselves. A good number of the patients were non-ambulatory and needed wheelchairs or walkers or other assistance to move around. I can't recall exactly how many patients there were, but it was a small facility, definitely under 100 total patients and staff with the typical variance in staff size depending on day shift or night shift. After school, on weekends, and in the summer, the hospital made use of high school students in the food service kitchen area with an adult head cook who ran the operation. There were generally four uniformed teenage girls who handled waitressing and who actually interacted with the patients out in the dining room and who bussed the tables after the patients were done. There was also a cook's assistant and the dishwasher floor mopper cleanup person. At this point in time, the cleanup person was a job that me and my younger brother had, working after school and on weekends on alternating days, so not on the same days. I should also mention that at the time the head cook was a guy called Dave. Dave was a former music student of my dad's when he was a high school teacher in a neighboring town. So while my brother and I didn't really know Dave all too well, he did have a soft spot for us both. Every night before the evening meal, the entire kitchen staff would sit down together and have dinner ourselves. 
we'd then all scramble for final dinner prep, the dishwasher assisting where needed, and the waitresses would serve dinner to the patients. After evening meal, the waitresses would bust the tables and drop everything on the industrial dishwasher counter, wipe down the tables in the dining room, and go home. The cook and the cook's assistant would bring all the pots and pans over to the dishwasher counter, wipe down their stoves and cooking areas, then also go home. The poor dishwasher would then be there alone for as long as it took, which was usually about two hours, if I recall correctly. That included also wiping down the dishwasher counter and mopping the entire kitchen area, starting at the dining room door and walking backwards through the kitchen staff's break area, and so on. Before we get to the actual story, there's one more character to introduce. Iggy. Who exactly Iggy was, patient or staff, we could never get a straight answer. No one from the adult hospital staff would ever answer the question, not even Dave the cook. Although it was clear there was more to the story, and the adult staff just didn't feel they could share it with the kids. What we could say about Iggy is that we knew he lived at the hospital in the attic. He seemed to be some sort of general handyman. To us teenagers, he looked to be about a thousand years old. He had the unmistakable odor of someone who likely hadn't bathed in a decade, and he took great pains to be sure he was at kitchen staff dinner time every night, right on time, during which he would ogle the teenage waitresses and grumble incoherently while gumming his meal in his completely toothless mouth. So, anyway, the night of the event started like any other. We all had dinner with Iggy leering at the girls as always. The waitresses served the patients and bussed the tables, putting everything on the dishwasher counter. Dave and his assistant cleaned up their cook areas and brought over all the pots and pans, and they all went home. As the cleanup guy and dishwasher, I started in on the dishes, scrubbing the pots and pans, and I had everything done and put away in good time. Then, as always, I filled up the rolling mop bucket using the kitchen hose adding a generous amount of the industrial floor cleaner we'd always used. Then I got to work on the mopping. Just as I finished mopping the kitchen staff break area, I was about to start on the actual kitchen floor. That's when Iggy walked in through the side door. This was unusual and something he'd never done before when I mopped, but he had the run of the place and always carried a huge set of keys on his belt, so I didn't really think anything of him unlocking the door and coming in. Iggy stared at me for a moment, but then he said, Good thing I caught you, boy. I've been getting all kinds of complaints about the crappy job you've been doing on the kitchen floor. Obviously, this was news to me, and I told him that. But he replied, It's that Dave. He's too easy on you, and you're slacking off. Wait here and with that he stormed off back out the side door. He was back in under 30 seconds, handing me a second bottle of industrial cleaner. He said, Pour in a good amount of that, then finish the floor, and make sure you get it good and wet and scrub it real good. So what was I supposed to do? He was an adult and apparently employed by the hospital, and I was just some high school kid doing a part-time job. So I did what I was told. I poured in some of the new cleaner until he said, That's enough. Then I mixed it around in the bucket with the mop. Once I'd done that, he took the bottle back, nodded once, and reminded me, Make sure you scrub it real good. Get it good and wet. 
He then exited again out the side door, back into the hospital corridor. So at that point, I did what I was trained to do. I mopped the kitchen floor as I'd done dozens of times before, always walking backwards towards the kitchen door, which was currently propped open to let some air in, as the kitchen didn't have air conditioning and could be stifling in warm weather. I noticed then that the mix I was putting on the floor was a slightly different color than normal, but I didn't notice anything else. I finished the job, dumped the mop water outside, put away the mop and bucket, locked up the kitchen door, and got on my bike, making my way home on the other side of town. At that point, it was 8pm and everything was wrapped up. Due to a number of appointments, both my brother and I would be off from the hospital for the next few days, and one of the adult daytime staff was assigned to provide dishwasher coverage while we were away. After about four days, I ended up being the first of us to work again. I rode my bike to the hospital that evening to clean up from the dinner mill shift. On arrival, I was immediately grabbed by the arm and hauled outside by Dave, who looked me in the face and yelled, What the hell did you do? Obviously, I had no idea what he was talking about so I told him that. He asked me to describe my last work shift. I told him the same story I've described here. As understanding dawned, I saw his eyes shift and then go real sad. He then said to me very quietly, Never take anything from Iggy. Make sure your brother knows this too. He then told me what happened. Apparently, at 2 a.m. that night, a passing hospital staffer had smelled something unusual coming from the kitchen. They got security to unlock the side door. They were both then assaulted by a noxious cloud of chemicals that burned their eyes and noses. Fearing the worst, they pulled the fire alarm, which caused an immediate evacuation of the building, forcing all patients and staff out into the night while the fire department swarmed all over the building trying to figure out what was wrong. After venting out the kitchen, not being able to find any cause for the fumes after four hours of looking, they could only conclude it was some sort of industrial spill. The fire department cleared them to bring the patients back in. The kitchen was shut down for several days to be thoroughly scrubbed by a commercial cleaning company while the patients were fed takeout food at enormous expense. Everyone assumed it was my fault somehow. This being the 80s and our town being the model of small town America, they left it to Dave to talk to me rather than rushing to immediately have me arrested on the spot. Turns out whatever Iggy had given me had mixed with the cleaner in the bucket. It had literally created a toxic gas. I must have never noticed it because I was walking backwards away from it the entire time, and the kitchen door was open allowing clean air in. Once the door was locked and the kitchen was bottled up for the night, it became a toxic soup. Looking back at it over the years and making educated guesses about the different contents of the two bottles of cleaner, it's very likely that the mixture that was in the bucket would have been extremely deadly if someone had inhaled enough of it. Obviously, I was blameless. I kept washing dishes at that hospital for another year, until I moved on to my first computer industry job, then on to college. My brother kept working there another two years until he also left. Iggy still showed up for every meal, right on time, ogling those high school girls. Creepy Men on Dirt Roads From Taylor <laughs> 
I previously worked and lived at a ranch owned by my aunt and uncle. At the time this happened, my cousin had come to visit for the weekend, and wanting to have a few drinks that night, we decided to drive to the nearest town which is about 40 minutes away to pick some up. We also ended up picking up a friend of ours who lives in the town, after the three of us headed back up to the ranch. Part of the drive is along the highway before you pull off onto a side road, and for the rest of the drive it's down a gravel road, one that has always felt as if it took hours to drive along. I've been down this road plenty of times. I'm very familiar with the road and most of the people that live along it, but I'm still pretty new to driving and only drive alone when I absolutely have to. I'm still very thankful that this wasn't one of those times and that people were with me. It terrifies me to think about what could have happened that evening had I been driving alone. Unfortunately, my family's ranch was the last property before it's just an empty road where we don't get a lot of traffic other than the occasional trucker. It was starting to get quite dark, and we were at the last few kilometers before our turnoff when we suddenly passed a truck that I almost didn't even notice. The truck had been parked there on the side of the road. It was turned off. Now, I'm a naturally paranoid person, so I tried not to think much of it when I saw the lights to the truck come on and the truck started. The driver suddenly pulled out and turned onto the road behind us, coming our way. It's a pretty quiet road, and other people do live along it. I also didn't get a good look at the truck, so it very well could have been someone we knew. So I tried to ignore my paranoia. Plus, we were almost to our road, and we were excited to sit around the fire pit, enjoying a few drinks and each other's company. As we laughed and argued over who should get to decide on the music, all of a sudden we saw flashing red and blue lights, like the ones on a police vehicle behind us. My stomach instantly dropped. As I said, I'm fairly new to driving, but I do know that I hadn't been doing anything wrong. Also, I was confused as to why there would be a cop just sitting way out here so far from town. But I panicked, and I felt confused. I pulled over and waited for them to pull up behind us. I was surprised when instead of pulling up behind us, the truck pulled up right next to our vehicle. It was then that I could clearly see two men who were at least in their 50s. I didn't recognize them as anyone that lived along the road. The truck they were following us in was not a police vehicle either. It was a red truck with lights they could have easily just bought and slapped on top. I felt instant dread. The men had been laughing as they pulled up. It could easily have been just them messing with us, but the way they looked at us made chills run up my spine. If it was a prank, there were other people on that same road who had passed us earlier. They could have stopped them. But no, they sat there waiting for who knows how long and chose the vehicle with three young women in it. I could have been wrong, but something about the whole situation just didn't feel right to me. The only thing they said to us was, Have you ladies been drinking and driving? I answered no, still very confused as to what was going on. My friend, who was a bit more confrontational than me, told them to mind their own business. After sitting there for what felt like forever, they finally just drove off laughing. 
I just sat there for a few moments, scared, as my friend and cousin tried to reassure me that they were just messing with us. When I finally pulled myself together, we continued on down the road. It was only about a minute or two later when we got to the last hill before our turn, and just as we were getting to the top of the hill, my stomach sank again. This time, I was in full panic mode, because parked in the pullout just before the road we were supposed to turn on sat the same red truck that had pulled us over. Now, because the pullout was so close to the road, I had no choice but to slow down right next to them. There they were with the same creepy smile staring back at us. I turned onto our road, hoping they would be tired of messing with us now and just leave us alone. But sure enough, they began to take the same turn right behind us. I stepped hard on the gas, racing to the driveway as fast as I could, my heart beating out of my chest. Unfortunately, my aunt has had problems with people stealing in the past, so now she kept a gate at the end of the driveway, locked, which meant someone had to get out of the vehicle to open it, then close it behind us. We made it with just enough time to get through the first gate, before they could have a chance to try to follow us even further. And as my cousin was closing the gate behind us, the men drove by so slowly, I could still see them smiling and laughing. They had no reason to follow us down that road either. It's a dead end. They wanted to follow us, whether it was to mess with us or for another reason. I don't even want to know. What I do know is that I haven't seen that truck or those men again since that day. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.